Welcome, Welcome to the Clam Bake! Welcome to the Clam Bake. It's a fresh take on a question all this time. If a woman is alone in the forest, will she still be undermined? It's a sorority of equality. It's a bonfire of a patriarchy. Come on, your hands, bring your moms, bring your dads. Come to the Clam Bake with me. It's the opposite of a sausage fest. I'm Angela Gallner. I'm Lindsay Stidham. And we want to be better feminists. Dang it. Each week we interview different guests about their experiences, challenges, triumphs, and follies with feminism. Being a human is tough and being a feminist is complicated. But our best resource is each other, Lindsay. It's true. So we should get talking. Okay. Uh, so welcome to the Clam Bake Clams. Woo! Yay! Yay! Quick clam check-in. This feels so weird because last time we were in here we were drunk. So drunk. <laughs> Uh, uh, yeah, we sometimes do drunk podcasts at night, which is really fun. Yeah, it was and we fun hadn't last done, time. we hadn't done one in a while. In a couple months, but now it's like bright and early. Bright in the and early, <laughs> nine a.m. Real sober. Yeah, <laughs> you just never know when you're gonna record a clam bake. Yeah, you never know. It's uh, willy nilly, fly by the seat of your pants. Anyway, how's your clam? Uh, my my clam is good. My clam is a little bit groggy. Um, I've had lots of family in town this past week, so. Um, we've done lots of entertaining. We had a little, we had like tacos at our house last night and Cute. did art projects <laughs> and uh, art played projects? games. Oh, yes. What art project did you do? Because size parents are artists. My I boyfriend's know. parents are artists. And so his mom um, found these like press on uh, or iron on things that go on t shirts. And so they were like Day of the Dead iron on so we ironed them on and then she bought fabric paint and then we were all painting um on our shirts and they were really cute it was fun (laughs) that's amazing it was fun and funny did you (laughs) do a feminist slogan on your shirt no i should have dang it you own so many feminist i know i do i (laughs) i yeah i try not to buy things unless they have like boobs or vaginas on them but yeah yeah. um this one just has a little skull a skull person I love it. Yeah. <laughs> That's fun. Yeah. Um, How about you, Lynn? Um, I hosted a dinner party on Sunday. Ooh. Or like which relates to what we're talking about today via the kitchen table app. It was really fun. And it was like more tiring than I had expected it to be. Yeah. <laughs> but it was entertaining. Really fun. Yeah, it was still really, really fun. You've um, been doing a lot of that a lot of like cooking for people lately. No, this is like the only time. No, for our <laughs> script read, you cooked br- brunch for everyone. I did. I cooked brunch for everybody because they came on Fourth of July and read our yeah. scripts, which is like amazing to take off, take your day off and read our freaking script. So yeah, yeah I did. I did. That's right. I did make a good brunch. It's true. Well, just give yourself credit. It's true. It's just like okay. in my normal own life for myself, like cooking is sparse. Yeah, I hear that. <laughs> but that's okay. Um, well, today we have Kelly Brown of Kitchen Table, founder what? of Kitchen Table. And so cool. Kitchen Table is a social dining app to connect people over food around the kitchen table, meeting strangers, friends, family, all kinds of people, um, all through an app. But I want Kelly to like explain it better herself and maybe like intro things I don't even know about her. So. Um, please go ahead, take it away. Tell us a little bit more about Kitchen Table and you. Thank you so much. Yeah. So nice to be here with you guys. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I'm Kelly, and Kitchen Table App, like Lindsay said, is a social dining app that brings people together over a shared love of good food and great company. And uh, I developed the app for my own uh, my own interest in meeting my friends and neighbors that lived in my building, um, and as a way to just like bring people together over food, which is one of my favorite ways to meet new people and really get to know them. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. And um, what is your background like uh, before, like leading up to founding this company? So when I was eight, I started my first company called KB Chocolates. Oh, my what? God. <laughs> oh yes. My God. <laughs> so it really amazing. all connects. <laughs> um, you know, then taking a 20 year detour in corporate finance. But um, no, I just I kind of looking back, I've always had this like entrepreneurial gene. Um I loved like candy and chocolate and miniatures and my mom ran a toy and bookstore. And so a couple times a year she would do these like big shows where she'd invite everyone and bring all the merchandise out into like uh, the patio. And so she let me have like a small table to sell my chocolates. Oh my um, God. So my love of food and chocolate began there. But really um, – yeah, I've always been interested in food. My I grew up with like a backyard of fruit trees and a vegetable garden and family dinner was, you know, not optional. It was, you know, you could hear my dad's car roll in at like 5:30 and it was like you were in the kitchen helping. Mm. Like it was it was a big family dinner every time and I have a big family. I have um six siblings, so having a communal dinner every night was very uh normal to my upbringing. And so then after school and college I sort of just like craved that again mm. and I was like that was so fun it was so comfortable I learned so much about my siblings every single night so I kind of was seeking to create that but um, I chose a different route uh, and pursued a career in uh, management consulting and corporate finance and later data and uh, analytics um, but then always had this like sort of idea in the back of my head that I wanted to do something around food, something around community building. Cool. How long did you run KB Chocolates? I'm like fascinated <laughs> by this now. And did you make your cho the chocolate of course, yourself? Of oh course. my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. A couple of years, I did a couple of summer projects. My sister and I had a small business during one summer between, uh, you know, like third and fourth grade called K and D's World of Ice. Oh my nice. God! Nice. We like created a menu and we had hours, which was like in our kitchen, and we would just create all these like ice popsicles and slushies. Oh my, oh my God! God. You were so ahead. Of popsicles are so hip right now. Yeah. You were so ahead of your time. <laughs> and chocolate is always in in my book. Oh yeah, very trendy slash delicious. Yeah. That's amazing. That is amazing. I love that so much. I do yeah. too. I had a small, I have a small company called Kelly Brown Jam as well, where I make jams and marmalades. Oh and my God. And that's still in business, yes? Still in business. Yeah. Ooh. Special order. Yeah. Is there, where could people find them? So right now I just do like one annual seasonal uh -huh. sale. Um, but when I lived in New York, I was part of like these little craft fairs and oh, food cool. markets. And when I moved to LA, I was part of um, a couple of craft fairs out here as well and so then it was picked up and it was sold in a store in Silver Lake and that was so cool and special and then um, 
my corporate finance job just took all my time. So yeah, I slowed yeah. it down to once a year. Yeah, that's so rad. That is really cool. I gotta sample some jam. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, we want to like focus a little bit on women in tech in this episode because we always being the clams that we are, want to focus on the feminist aspect of um, what people are doing. And the stats of women in tech are, like, really dire. It's crazy. It's not great. And so I think it's always inspiring to talk to somebody who's doing that as a lady. So um, according to a recent Muse article, only 11% of execs at Fortune 500 companies are women. Only 5% of tech startups are run by women. But on the flip side, in the year 2016, 400 female-led companies raised $5 billion in equity financing. Um, so, Kelly, you being a woman in tech, <sighs> why do you think there is such a crazy disparity? Why are women not starting and running companies? I think it's uh, a couple of reasons. And based on that article and other articles that I've read and listened to, I think there's a few reasons. One is just legacy. So women have had a little bit of a later start in getting into the field. So for years and years and years, you know, boys have been told that they are good in math and science. And so with that confidence have pursued careers in that field. And women just were not told the same thing um, when we were kids, when our parents were kids, when our grandparents were kids. So in terms of just the population of people in the field, women are catching up, but there's years and years of catch-up that we have to do. And then um, another reason is attrition. So there's sort of a widely uh, distributed survey that talks to like girls in middle school who are interested in computers and computer science and technology, and it's a staggering percentage. Over 70% of women say, uh, girls say that they're interested in that field. But then only, you know, 10% sort of pursue those fields in university and then an even smaller number half that end up in those that's heartbreaking careers. yeah yeah so I think attrition is due to a couple reasons as well so there there's an interest but then they sort of like fall out and why does that happen and uh, just the articles that I've read and based on my own experience um, I think it has to do with a couple reasons one being culture one being confidence and then one being empathy mm. so there is, you know, it's not like surprising that boys club is still a thing and still things that people talk about and still like a, a reality in a lot of companies in the technology department and, you know, overall. So I've spent my career in sort of male dominated fields and consulting and then um, financial accounting and then corporate finance and then data. All of those have been dominated by men and I... Um, have been sometimes the only woman on the team and or the only woman on the team and the only one of few women sort of in the group and then you know consistent with business school so I went back to school to get my MBA and you know 25% of my class was women which was great it's growing but it's still pretty small you know yeah. often the only woman on the team so hmm. in terms of culture you know it's it's not something that we should like shy away from. I don't think men talk to men in a different way than men talk to women and the women talk to women. So if the, if 90% of the team is men and you are one of only a few women, it's just a different feeling in that team. You're, totally. you're spoken to a different way. Hmm. You're 
um, maybe like led or managed or or mentored in a different way. So um, that's sort of the culture aspect. And then the confidence is this is, you know, this is something that is sort of like comes up frequently that just in general, broad strokes, men have more confidence in their technology, computer science, even data, mathematical, analytical skills than women. And it's probably based on years and years of men being told that they're good at math and science and women are told that they're good at different things. Mm -hmm. So women have to develop that confidence on their own and then seek out the support and encouragement from mentors like around them. And then in terms of empathy, it kind of relates a little bit to the culture that I was talking about in the beginning, but um, understanding where people are coming from, men or women, so men having empathy for women, women having empathy for men, it's just something that I think we could all do a better job at mm -hmm. in the workplace. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, fascinating slash depressing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, film is, like, very similar that, like, we're not encouraged to be behind the camera. Like, I moved here 13 years ago, and, like, I moved here to be a screenwriter, and, like, I never imagined directing until, lo and behold, 10 years later, that's, like, all I want to do is control my own material and that's like even being in film school I would not say that was something um that was encouraged 13 years ago in Los Angeles yeah, <laughs> yeah it's it's fascinating and bizarre and weird and we got to keep changing the conversation for sure yeah yeah and I think that men can contribute and they have in in my experience so I've been very lucky to have a couple of great uh, male leaders and mentors in my journey and I probably um, farther along in, I don't know, my sort of like career development because of that. So there, it's just sort of like seeking out those, those leaders, whether they're male or female to, to help you progress. You know, it sounds like, oh, you can get it from anywhere and you can't really, but if you are willing to be curious and persistent and take control of your own, um, career development, then you can find the mentorship from a man or a woman, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I also feel like we don't encourage women to talk about uh, money when they're young. It's like just not conversations that we have. Like I'm still learning how to stand up for myself and like negotiating uh, wage and managing money. And um, I've managed like large, like quarter of a million dollar film budgets. And then I like sometimes forget I've had that experience. And then like, why do I feel weird about talking about money? It still like makes me uncomfortable and um, and I like don't I'm still like battling overcoming that. And I like don't know we, why we don't have these conversations with women when they're younger of being sure. like, yeah, in your life, you're gonna have to talk about money like yeah. all the time, like all the time. Sure. Yeah, it yeah. makes me deeply, deeply uncomfortable to talk about money or how much my services or time might be worth and to to take my to take myself seriously as as someone who's who's worth investing in yeah yeah it's so hard and it's so uncomfortable and I wish that it wasn't because I see my male friends doing it without batting an eye yeah exactly and they're like well it's not it's not a personal thing it's it's just business. It's just business. Yeah. <laughs> and obviously to run your own business, you have to be 
good with money or really and realistically no matter what business you're in you're gonna have to learn how to talk about money Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah it's bizarre it's bizarre to me that it's still such a battle for us to be comfortable in that but yeah so what made you what triggered this transition for you career-wise um and can you tell us a little bit about that sure I think it was it was just a desire to create something, to build something on my own. So I had worked for major studios. I was working in entertainment for most of my career. And when I went to business school, um, I like set a goal. I either wanted to start a company or work at a startup company. And so I was able to do that sort of a year into business school, work for a smaller startup in media and technology as well. Um, digital media, but I just always had something in my gut that I wanted to run something on my own. And these sort of like side hustle projects of having my own jam business (laughs) or um, doing something on the side were just uh, sort of growing. And I remember thinking um, at my old job, like I was starting to think about Kitchen Table and starting to build it out and starting to develop sort of the wireframes about how I wanted the user experience to feel like in the app. And I was spending like all my nights and weekends on it. And I just remember thinking, here's what's going to happen. My boss is going to ask me to do something. And I'm going to have to say, I can't do that project. I'm working on my side hustle. Yeah. And I'm, like, <laughs> 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 I'm like, maybe before I say that, I should just make my side hustle my real hustle. So yeah. um, I took a like huge leap of faith, um, but based on both like, security I had saved um you know enough to give me a runway of 12 to 18 months that's mm-hmm. how long I was going to give myself and so I had that financial security and then I had just like a deep-rooted passion for pursuing something that I believe in and I just tested it on the market which was my friends and family and I'm like how does this sound was this something that you would do and is this just like only me I moved to the arts district in downtown LA I didn't know anyone I moved into this so cool building and it's you know a historic building that has been preserved um, over the years it was like an old factory building Mm. back when LA was like a big industrial part of the city and I'm like if I moved in here because I think it's cool and interesting I'm sure everyone else or 50 Mm percent of the people who live here are also interested in the history of LA and doing something creative or professional or whatever it was but I just really wanted to get to know them so after hearing from you know an overwhelming positive response that this is something that other people would do too I felt comfortable enough to like just take a leap it was time I had listened to enough founder stories I'd read enough (laughs) like startup articles about other founders that you know, didn't even finish college or had no job security or had no financial security, sleeping on people's couches and starting their businesses in a living room with no income. And I'm like, wait a second, I do have security. I have this idea. It feels really good in my like heart and soul and stomach. And I'm like, I, I think that I could give this a go. And like, what is the worst case that could happen? I'd meet a bunch of great people mm-hmm. over a homemade meal like that could still feel really good mm-hmm. yeah yeah so cool so I feel like in tech that we people always word things of like what problem is this solving so what social problem or larger problem does kitchen table solve yeah good good question and I think about this 
every day as I talk to my customers and talk to our hosts and our diners and my team. And I think that kitchen tables solved a few problems. Maybe we should pause real quick and yeah. just give a quick summary of yeah. what that what the app does. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Sure. So kitchen table brings people together over a meal. Sounds really simple, and it is a simple concept. Um, it's powered by technology, so we created a mobile app available in the iPhone App Store, and it allows anyone to be a host and host a dinner on the app, and it allows anyone to be a guest and join a dinner in their community or in a neighborhood near them. So it's pretty simple. Um, you think of a great meal that you would like to cook and like to share with people in your neighborhood, and you post it up on the app, and then anyone who has the app can see it and book their seat or two. Yeah, and it's geographics you can find near you, like where the meal's mm -hmm. happening, and eventually anywhere in the world. Right now, <laughs> just Los Angeles, right? Right. We yeah. just, we're piloting the program in Los Angeles. We have a small pilot happening in Oakland as well, and the growth will be based on uh, demand and, uh, you know, sort of marketing strategy. But the concept is really just based on bringing people together over food. So food is a vehicle to get people to have a conversation, to share something about themselves, to get to know each other. And what I was feeling was um, a need for social interaction, community building, uh, friendship building in my, in my apartment building and in my neighborhood. So I think that there is a huge need in Los Angeles and beyond for people to connect with each other. We spend all day on our laptops and our cell phones. We have third screens, fourth screens sometimes. And then, uh, so we're interacting with people all day, whether it's email or Instagram. But this human interaction is what we're missing. And not everyone is missing it, of course, but that's why I think Kitchen Table is, is so brilliant is that it's a self-selecting group of people. Yeah. So if you want to meet your neighbors and show your friends, you know, your greatest fish tacos you've ever made, then you're the type of person that would post a meal on the Kitchen Table app. And if you are like me and want to meet your neighbors and have a real conversation over a meal, then you would be the type of person to book a seat or two and um, meet your neighbor. It's so hard the older you get to make friends. Yeah. And it's make so awkward. Yeah. And it, like, it's hard to be like, do you want to <laughs> like hang out and try to get to be friends? Yes. You know, it's, yes. it's so deeply uncomfortable and vulnerable that this just like, to me sounds like such a relief. Like, especially if you've moved to the city alone, maybe, or moving to a new complex, LA can be so lonely and it's so right. sprawling and so spread out and we're in our cars and you know it's not like New York where you're walking down the street every day and able to interact with people that it seems like it, it just seems like such a, a brilliant idea so back to basics especially like if you know like mm -hmm. community building like I I'm not a churchgoer I don't have a faith a lot of people get their community through church but if that's not Right. Your thing. You, where yeah. do you go? Where else yeah. do you food look? Is, food is faith. And yeah. <laughs> I mean, I just think it's such an, I think it's so cool. I think it's really exciting. Yeah. Um, no, but you're right. Sort of college is the last sort of formal place yeah. that we have in our society to be introduced to a group of 
like-minded individuals that are in our peer group. And then, you know, Los Angeles for sure is a city of independent contractors, freelancers, you know, people that work for themselves. And so if you're not part of a, you know, 30, 50, 200 person startup or a large organization, large studio company, then getting a group of friends together, meeting a new group of people is um, just very difficult. And I've sort of found that. So in terms of community building, I've spent a lot of time doing this on my own and reading about it because it's so important to me to be a part of something and and feel like I'm part of a community. And when I lived in New York, I was like s- desperately seeking community in the East Village. And it just it doesn't happen like that. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't happen just by like one person wanting it. So I found that one way to build community was to join a CSA and you know, get my vegetables from a group of people mm-hmm. that organize this vegetable drop off. And then on my <laughs> first day picking up my vegetables, I saw sort of the team who was helping to set up. And I'm like, that's the group I want to be a part of. So I'm like, how do I be part of this team? So I joined the staff the next day. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> I was able to be around this group of people that cared about um, organic local produce and distribution from local farms in that way. But um I think that in terms of community building, it takes a leader to have a consistent sort of plan of community building, and then it has to take a group of people who believe in the same uh, community effort. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, like, the cool thing about Kitchen Table is, like, you can also, like, choose your level of experience. Like, you can do a $45 whiskey tasting. You can do a $10, like, I just contributed to, like, have a meal so like the basic costs are covered it's like all types of different stuff and kelly hosted a meal where people exchanged phone numbers and (laughs) she went to one where they were on a date and like yeah 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 it's been really great we've had more than 70 meals um just in the past couple of months be posted on the app and i try to go to every single one of them Mm -hmm. that i can and so it's been so great to see sort of this like diverse way of hosting and dining and um, one aspect that's sort of rooted in our business model is the opportunity for any host to donate the proceeds of any dinner to a nonprofit organization that they believe in so that while we are eating this homemade meal we're able to feed someone who's in our community that may not be able to pay for a meal themselves Mm -hmm. yeah Oh, that's great. It is cool. And P.S. Tinder, if you want to partner. (laughs) For real, this is so much better than any dating app. It is, yeah, way better than a dating app. It is the number one, like, request I get from from people who come to a meal because in the early stages, which is, like, one of my favorite parts of every kitchen table is sort of, like, you know, near the end at dessert, we're all sitting around, and then I hear that, you know what you should do? And I'm like, shh, 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 Because I want to hear everyone's yeah. ideas. Like, yeah. what do you want? What do you want? And like, I mean, 90% of the ideas are some sort of connection to a singles night mm-hmm. or a mix and mingle or um, a kitchen table's first date. Yeah. 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 So. so fun. It just sounds much better of being like, I met this person at this beautiful meal <laughs> full of strangers. It's so romantic compared to being like, we went to coffee because we met on this dating app and we just had to be there yeah. and just going through the motions. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, 
pretty cool. Um, so I feel like we we like yeah, lots of social problems. Any other problems the kitchen table solves that you thought about when thinking about this question deeply, in the language of tech, when everybody asks that question? <laughs> yeah, I, I think there are two sort of other things that we thought about a lot. So one is just sort of independence and self-sustainability. So we're giving people the opportunity to earn an extra amount of money of their sort of control by doing something that they may already be doing. So in the very early conversations that we were having, it was like, well, I'm making fish tacos tonight regardless. So the extra effort of putting two extra pieces of fish on the grill is not that much, and I would be able to cover my cost of this meal um, really easily, or maybe even make a little bit extra that I can put into my savings for something else. So we're basically saying, like, anyone who can cook or help cook a meal can now earn an extra um, mm -hmm. amount of money to help them, you know, achieve whatever their next goal is. So that was an interesting problem to solve. And then the other one that we solve or we're trying to solve is sort of the relationship with philanthropy. Mm. So um, a lot of us give time and money to the organizations that we believe in, but we feel a little bit disconnected if we write a check or donate to one of our friends who's uh, participating in a run for a cause that they believe in. But we've had a bunch of dinners where – the you know, director of that nonprofit organization is right there at the table and they're able to tell every one of the guests what the mission is of their nonprofit organization, what they're doing, what their goals are, and how the people around the table can get involved. And so by contributing um, to join the meal and meet the director of the nonprofit organization, they're already getting um, sort of this like much deeper connection to the organization. So that has been really meaningful in the dinners that we've had that support nonprofits. Yeah, that's really cool. That is cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's an app with such a good heart. It is. It's true. <laughs> it's I feel like true. that's rare. It is. I think so, too. I think it's really rare, actually. And I can't help but, I mean, maybe this is essentialist or something, but I can't help but think, this is what happens when women, <laughs> women are leading things <laughs> Yeah, you know, definitely it's really cool. Yeah. Um. So you have chosen to hire mostly women at your company. Was this a conscious choice? What? Yeah, that's a good question. And I was I was thinking about that um a lot. I mean, I think about it every day, of course, because culture is like forefront in my mind mm -hmm. when we are working with a small team at a small table. Um. But I think that it wasn't totally conscious, and I opened up the opportunity to everyone that I knew. But I think like attracts like a little bit, and you know this sort of bleeds a little bit into another topic, which we were, which you mentioned at the beginning about women raising equity mm -hmm. um, from you know venture capitalists and angel investors. So uh, a lot of women, in my experience, are pursuing apps or technology movements in something that they believe in with their heart, uh, maybe versus some of the men who are pursuing app or technology that solves either a um, tech problem mm -hmm. or something that could result in a huge cash flow. Yes. Yeah. Financial yeah. benefit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I have just found that in, 
in the people that I've met, it's been mostly women. Mm-hmm. And I think that could be a combination of just sort of my expression of the brand. So I am a woman. I can be very girly sometimes too. Like uh, when we talk about hosting a dinner party, it's often women that are hosting and uh, in television and film and in real life. And so I think a like attracts like a little bit. Um, but it wasn't intentional. It just so happens that the people that I met that had the strongest connection to uh, pursuing and growing the concept have been women. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so how do you think we motivate women to be more involved in tech in general? That is a good question. I don't think that it's limited to tech, but I've been thinking about this as well. And I think the two things that I would encourage are like just an unlimited amount of curiosity. So encouraging um, our girls and our colleagues and our friends, coworkers to be curious and then uh, to take that curiosity to learning. So like every day I learn something new, at least one thing, probably a hundred new things in app development, in technology, in marketing, um, in like customer acquisition. And so I would encourage our teachers and our parents and, you know, in our network to just pursue your curiosity. And then I would encourage women to just be persistent. It's something that I don't think a lot of women are mentored to do. Mm. Um, But... I think that there is a lot of uh, opportunity for success with persistence and sort of having this like idea of like goal setting and achieving goals. Yeah. Self-motivation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you think women bring something different? Like that was really interesting what you said that like when women do launch an app or they do choose to go work for an app, they more often make a choice of like, okay, well, this is my heart, so I'm going to follow this. But in general, do you think they bring something different to a tech environment than men do? Yeah, I do. I, I think that, you know, women are, are different than men. And I don't think that in terms of getting more women in the technology space, they should act more like men or take the personality traits. I think it's only going to be beneficial to have this diversity, not just in gender, but in all of our backgrounds. But yeah, I mean, I can only speak from my experience, but I do. I think women bring um, sort of a, like, a, a warmer sense of culture and conversation and community building into the environment. And I think that the women that I have worked for bring more empathy into the workspace. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So Silicon Valley has a woman problem, (laughs) for sure. Uh, Like Uber has made the news a ton this year um, for people outing the culture of sexual harassment in the workplace. Um, so why do you think that this boys club like just keeps persisting in these huge multi-million billion dollar companies that it just over and over again you hear these stories? I know it's terrible and um, it's just a real disappointment in tech departments, tech companies and in the industry. So I'm, 
I'm quite disappointed, especially for a company that is so new that had the opportunity of a completely fresh start mm-hmm. to change the look and feel of this stereotype. So it's disappointment, as I said. I think it's just a couple of things that we talked about in the beginning. So there's a legacy mm-hmm. of men in um, the fields of math and science and computer science and technology. And so if there is a higher population by landslide of men working in the department, um, then that sort of culture will dominate. So if there's 90% of men who are working in coding or in engineering and there's only 10% of women, then most likely the culture of men will dominate the way that the department is run. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's, it's a lot of leadership, top-down leadership. So you know, when the founder is the CEO and you get both like their passion for how they want their project to uh, come to fruition and then you get their particular leadership because they're the CEO. So um, I have a friend that worked for Uber and according to, you know, according to him, the top-down leadership was just very masculine Mm -hmm. and um, just uh, not a lot of care just get it done and keep moving. So I think if uh, if that's sort of the mandate, then that rolls right down to the next level and to the next level. I wonder too if like, because, because so many of these apps, these startups are passion projects either coming from a more holistic community heart place or like a business money place um, that the founders feel they can impose their own personalities or their own inherent sexism in a way that maybe like a, a bigger, more established company would have more HR and more internal structures in place to ensure that discrimination and sexism don't become the norm. I wonder if because these things start so small and can balloon so quickly, if there is yeah. Less less room for protection there. And yeah. it's like this is this is my baby, so I'm gonna run it how I freaking want to. And it's hard maybe it's harder to Yeah, sure, I think it's sure. to kind of it's definitely reroute harder things. to go backwards. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. 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 When know. things like ex- take you know, I think Uber exploded like I'm sure more than they expected former probably. CEO. <laughs> I'm forgetting his name in the moment, but former CEO expected, no longer CEO, but um I'm sure it exploded faster than he considered it, and um, I do think it's probably, like, hard to go backwards when you are, like, start small, and it's, like, you know, 10 guys in an office, and in six months... Which isn't to excuse it at all. I hundreds just... Hundreds of people. <laughs> you, know, you know, I just wonder if that's part of it, too, and then, and then this, you know, h- how you were talking about legacy, it's, like, historically been men who, who operate differently in the business sphere big generalization but I but I do like this idea of when you said earlier that that women shouldn't have to take on the traits of men in order to be successful um I I really like that like I like like I haven't seen it yet but I'm so excited to see Atomic Blonde and I know that a lot of the feedback about that film has been that she fights like a woman and that that's a good thing like she fights differently than men her body is different than the way a man's body is and of course, like gender, sexuality is all on a spectrum, but I, I like this idea that women in the workplace 
don't have to turn into men sure. in the workplace and sure. that that's a benefit. But I wonder, too, if then there's like resentment internal or external from men on ha on having to adjust to a different type of energy or a different type of way of going about things that might seem like it takes more energy or I don't know all of this like latent white man aggression that's in our freaking country right now <laughs> like why can't things be the way they always have been or the way they used to or I don't know I think it all comes down to expectation management mm. so if you have a great leader male or female who sets up the expectations of what it takes to be be a leader, have a leadership role in the company, then that's a recipe for success. So last Sunday, there was an article in the New York Times about women who were almost C like C-suite executives. So the title of article. the article was like, why aren't women, why aren't more women in executive level roles from women who almost got there? Mm -hmm. And some of the like main themes was number one, it's like all about the numbers. It's all about profitability. So um, one woman who like worked her way from like cashier to the president of North America at McDonald's. So she was like the second highest position in the entire company and she was running it great for like more than five years. And then the organization decided to experiment with like price strategy raising prices on some of their, you know, menu items. And after a month, she missed the target and was fired. Wow. And she's like, it is all about, it's just all about money. And so yeah. with Uber and Travis's leadership, it was just all about like money and sales and growth and not about culture. Mm -hmm. So I think it's way too broad to say that women led organizations care more about mm -hmm. culture. Um, for sure, because Airbnb is started by a man, and I think they've done an amazing job building culture. Yeah, I've heard it's a great company to work for, and um, I've been an Airbnb host, and I've actually like interacted with so many Airbnb employees just by being a host. I think they've done like a killer job. So yeah, yeah, for sure, yeah. But I think that companies that take culture and put it as a priority, um, like have a stronger stance for success with women mm. who work there especially say in technology mm -hmm. yeah. and that just like don't stand for discrimination and harassment in the workplace so yeah. one of Travis's main problems at Uber was that he just ignored it mm -hmm. and said well boys will be boys or uh, this was only one time but otherwise he's like a really good leader and when that type of um, leadership is like exemplified in a workspace then um it just means that everyone can act like that yeah yeah, yeah. for sure for sure <laughs> speaking of like not seeing yourself reflected like silicon valley the show has been like widely criticized as well for being like you almost never see a female coder like everybody doing the tech jobs is a man but um yeah like i just wanted to ask uh who, who do you admire who is out there and in the spotlight in founder roles or in tech roles that um, we may or may not have heard of? I mean, that is a good question. So in terms of like who I look up to, these women may or may not be like founders of technology companies, but they are doing something that they believe in and um, – like executing uh, like 
yeah, a passion, but something that also has like a better benefit to the world. So um, somebody that I really like is um, Allie Webb, the founder of Drybar. Uh, I went to hear her speak a little while ago, and I just think it's so great that she found something that like people want that was never done before and asked her brother for a loan, and he was like, I don't understand what you're doing. You want to open a hair salon? And she's like, nope, it's not a hair salon. <laughs> it is just a place for women to get a blowout. And he's like, what is a blowout? <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like a funny story also because he doesn't have any hair and hasn't like for a while doesn't <laughs> like understand the upkeep of hair. But she had an idea, and she went looking for VC money, and most of them were men, and they didn't understand where she was coming from. But uh, she believed in it, and she had, like, she had product market fit. She tested the market with her, like, friends and other moms. Um, so I think her story is so neat as well because it's a service that uh, has proven to be highly in demand. Yeah. Um, I also love Sarah Blakely, of course, the founder of Spanx. Mm -hmm. And that is a great story that she had as well because I think it – you know, I think it was very, like, situational as well. She was a woman that designed an undergarment for women, and she was trying to get her product into wide distribution. And the, you know, senior sales buyer at Nordstrom was a woman as well. And I guess it would be unlikely for it to be a man now, but not so long ago. Like, mm -hmm. even men were designing women's clothes and buying women's clothes for them. Um, but because she was a woman and because Sarah was, like, just – incredibly determined to make this happen for herself she asked the you know head of sales to come into the ladies room so she could show her how her product worked <laughs> yes and if that head of sales was a man mm -hmm. like it just wouldn't have happened that mm -hmm. way and so yeah. because she got the woman in the ladies room and showed her what the undergarment you know looked like underneath her pants like that proved the concept so yeah in watching all of um you know and being a part of like fast pitch competitions in business school and then watching them um, happen in other places. If a man doesn't relate to the product that a woman is pitching, he's just out immediately. Mm -hmm. Versus if a man doesn't relate to another product that another man is pitching, he'll find some way to see how the numbers work together mm. versus um, uh, understanding more about the need for the product or service. Yeah. And legit, God bless both those women because Spanx have like Oh my saved God. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah. Spanx and blowouts. Yeah. For real. For real. Well, we do without them. I mean, it just seems so foolish for men not to want to tap into this because there's women spend so much money. So yeah. much on yeah. on beauty. I mean. That is proven <laughs> multi-billion dollar industry <laughs> over and over I again. Mean, we will God. always spend money on our vanity for better or worse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, yeah, I do love this bank story. I've, I've read about her before, and she seems really cool. I love both those stories. And, like, now, legitimately in L.A., almost everywhere you get your hair cut, they offer you booze. And I feel like that's also thanks to Dry Bar. Yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Well, I'll let you ask the next question, and I feel right. like I've been dominating the conversation. No. You're doing great. <laughs> <laughs> Where do you see Kitchen Table headed in the next five to ten years? 
That is a great question. Uh, thank you for forcing me to answer it. <laughs> I look at kitchen table on like a day to day and yeah. like six week sort of projection. Uh, we have like a big event coming up in a couple of weeks that I'm heads down focused on, but it's important to sort of step back and look at the big, bigger picture. Um, so I. I believe that Kitchen Table can be a platform for everyone to find some way to connect with others on it. So right now we're focusing on dinner. We're focusing on group dinners where people get together to meet and greet and mix and mingle over a homemade meal. And that has been working. It's They're enjoyable. We're seeing people come back for more. We're seeing people write really strong uh, peer reviews on the app. And... It's been a great way to launch the concept. I don't think anyone would uh, like put up their nose to like meeting a new person in their community over a home-cooked meal. But I really see Kitchen Table as a way for anyone to connect with something that they want to do with others. So we've talked about like supper nights, wine clubs, mom's clubs, kids' mm-hmm. clubs, mm-hmm. yoga clubs, mm-hmm. like writing workshops. Um, like networking events in a more like structured way. These dinners are turning into sort of micro networking events as we meet and greet with people who are either in our industry or in an industry that we're either interested in or Mm -hmm. know someone who's interested in. But there is a way to build relationships with people over a meal that doesn't happen at a cocktail hour. And it certainly doesn't happen at a panel. Right. where you don't talk to anyone, actually. Yeah. Um, and the speakers on the panel are so far out of reach. Yeah, there's like this really uncomfortable hierarchy, yeah. and you go kind of feeling like a child, and like you yeah. don't, I don't know. Yeah. Angela but and I went to Sundance two years ago to network, and we ended up crying on somebody's oh, living room yeah. floor. Because yeah. <laughs> it was just miserable. It was uh, it was rough going. Yeah. But, um, it's okay. We'll, we'll get back there, and it'll be better. <laughs> Maybe you'll have a Sundance kitchen table. Yeah, that would for be real. Great. That would be awesome. There's a need. Yeah. 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 But actually, like, some people do do that there when you're, like, all the way on the inn. There's, like, uh, several dinner parties that are, like, the whole point is for people to, like, take a minute and sit down and yeah. have dinner. Mm-hmm. Which is, like, it's just so different and, like just hosting one myself for the first time ever like you you literally don't look at your phone for three hours and it's like that is so uh refreshing yeah to be forced to be engaged yeah but yeah yeah so i would love for i would love for people to be able to use it as a platform to connect in broad strokes so one of the huge benefits is having this sort of built-in rsvp functionality so if you're having a dinner party Mm -hmm. or you're having a private yoga class with a picnic after, knowing how many people are going to come for real is really important in terms yeah. of planning. Um, and then it's just a it's a great way to support each other's projects mm-hmm. or organizations. Um, so if you're inviting like people over for a writer's workshop because you are a screenwriter and you're offering your services, mm-hmm. this is a great way to say, like, yeah, I'm valued. I'm going to put a value on my services. You're coming over. I'm going to teach you something. And we don't have to talk about money in person. Right. This is a transparent way for you to know how much my services are. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it would be wonderful if we were um, in, you know, global markets mm-hmm. connecting people to others. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, that's another point. We do have people listening to this podcast. We have like a nice a little fan base in Eastern Europe. <laughs> They're like my favorite. Hey, Joe. Hey, Joe. <laughs> you guys are like our favorites. So um, people who listen to this episode, um, if they're not in Los Angeles, but they are in the States, like I know that you're very, you're awesomely transparent with your company. Could they write to you if they want to, uh, if they want to try it where they are? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, write to me directly, Kelly at kitchentableapp.com. I'd love to hear your thoughts and feedbacks and requests on our next neighborhood. Uh, like I said, we're doing a small pilot program in Oakland, but if you want your neighborhood, um, to be supported by Kitchen Table, reach out to me and would love to be in touch. And the app is currently functional everywhere in the U.S. if you have an iPhone. Yes. and But Europe, but not yet? Not yet. In not yet. Okay. So you have to have an iPhone. If you live in the United States, you can download the app and check it out. Yep. Very cool. And you can write to Kelly and ask her to try it out in your city. Yes. Um, before Yay. we go, what advice do you have to women who might want to be involved in tech or are thinking about starting their own company? Um, great question as well. I would say to pursue that curiosity. So if you're interested, then do something. Um, talk to someone who's in the field. Talk to someone who knows a little bit about it or you know, go to something. So I listen to so many podcasts to understand broader spectrum of, you know, topics that I may not be in, but I'm super interested in. Mm -hmm. And so I would encourage anyone to um, listen to a podcast about something that you're interested in and like raise your hand, say like, I have a question. I want to talk about this. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm interested. I don't know where to begin. It's kind of like choosing the right business school you know mm. everyone knows the top five business schools in the country but when you're looking for the right business school for you what what do you do you go to their website you read about it you go to their like lecture when they come to new york or so i would encourage people to raise their hand and get involved um and i would encourage everyone to try kitchen table for themselves we have a bunch of meals posted on the app right now but if you're interested in technology kitchen table is a great way to get started because it is uh it is powered through technology um before before you have a home-cooked meal yeah yeah (laughs) so awesome it is awesome well clams thanks for tuning in thanks for tuning check us out on social media thank you kelly thanks for for joining here this is so fun It's so fun, but this is what, like, this is why we started a podcast yeah. also, is, like, we wanted to connect to women throughout the year. Mm-hmm. We wanted to take a minute and, like, have a conversation, and so very similar to Kitchen Table. That's why we got into podcasting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which has been great this year. It's been yes. fun to talk about um, insanity of the world and also the good things happening in the world. So thanks for listening, Clams. As always, you can follow us on social media. Uh, we're on Instagram. Welcome to the Clam Bake. We're on Twitter, Clam Bake Pod. Please uh, write us a review on iTunes. Yes. It helps us a lot. Uh, yeah, it helps us subscribe. Like, <laughs> yeah, well, it helps us uh, like pop up in the algorithm, speaking of tech. Yeah. Uh, the more reviews, the higher we kind of move up. So leave us a review. We'll read it on the podcast. The more clams we can recruit to our ocean. Yeah. <laughs> so thanks, clams. And reach out. If you have a question, comment, concern, we love hearing from you. 
Uh, let us know uh, if you have uh, any corrections or uh, anything you want us to cover. Thanks for listening. Bye. 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 Welcome to the clam bake. It's the opposite of a sausage fest. Just a couple of vaginas talking. What's a creative podcast network?